extraterrestrial intelligence. Chapter 9 Three times per week, unless it was called for an urgent pickup and delivery, a special messenger service dispatched a vehicle from offices in Barstow, California, to the Goldstone Deep Space Tracking Station 30 miles away. It was a drive through uncompromising desolate desert, freezing in the winter and blazing hot in the summer. A computer printout containing the faint blip received from deep space 24 hours before had been stuffed into two separate packets. The original would be sent to JPL in Pasadena, and a copy would be sent back to NASA headquarters in Washington, D.C. The Pasadena package reached its destination without incident. The Washington package was misrouted. From Washington, it went on to Australia. As Sam continued to sleep soundly, and the original Goldstone printout sat in the depository drop of the mailroom at JPL, the second printout was making its way to the second leg of NASA's deep space network in Australia. Within hours, it would arrive at the headquarters of the Deep Space Network in Canberra, Australia, and be placed in the hands of personnel from the Australian Department of Science. Visiting the facility at that moment was a delegation of scientists and technicians from Russia. They were part of a technical team that was inspecting the facility for possible cooperation of the NASA Deep Space Network in providing downlink facilities for the Russians' unmanned Mars mission in the not-too-distant future. The misrouted package from Goldstone, containing evidence of a very faint intelligent transmission detected at 1420 MHz, would make for some lively and interesting conversation at lunch between the Russians and the Australians. Chapter 10 The embarrassment would have been too great, so Ephraim kept the index finger of his right hand away from his nostril. He continued his leisurely stroll among the adobe buildings of Los Robles High School towards his outdoor locker. All lockers were outdoors. This was California, of course. There were no interior hallways at Los Robles High. This bothered Ephraim, who would much rather be surrounded by an artificial environment all the time. His comfort zone was very narrow and very structured. He hated either to be too cold or too hot. When he visited his cousin Larry in St. Louis, Ephraim spent a day at Larry's school. It was marvelous. The halls were wide, and not once did he have to venture 
into the Midwestern heat and humidity to go from one classroom to another. Of course, Ephraim had visited in the spring. He failed to realize how cold it could get, and generally did get, in the dead of winter in the Midwest. He also didn't realize that a Ruskin high school did not have air conditioning, unlike Los Robles, which did. But that was the length of Ephraim's view. He was not a long vista thinker. He just worried about the moment. Perhaps that insulated him from any pain about the past or worry about the future. Unlike his good friend Sam, Ephraim had a very normal and quiet life. No fires of ambition burned in his belly. His parents were living and were not separated, and he thought he was blessed by being an only child. There were no big brothers to intimidate him or little sisters to annoy him. He liked the arrangement and received all the attention, all the time. But Ephraim was not callous. He was very sensitive to Sam and Sam's living arrangements, and to Sam's having lost his parents, and now having young twin girls continually yapping at his heels. He almost felt sorry for Sam, but Sam wouldn't let Ephraim feel sorry for him. Whenever conversation turned to the past or to his parents, Sam would simply ignore the subject. In public, and especially with Ephraim, Sam would resist being drawn into any conversation about the loss of his parents or the pain it caused him. Ephraim reached his locker and began fumbling with the combination lock. He turned the small black combination wheel first one way, then the other. This was the second year he had had that locker, and Ephraim still had trouble remembering the combination. He finally got the number set, but the locker was once again jammed. He shoved and pushed and pounded on the flimsy metal door till it finally gave way. Ephraim realized the commotion he was making and turned to see whether anyone was looking. He heaved a sigh of relief. It was still early, and the buses hadn't arrived. Ephraim pulled out the precious lunch his mother had made this morning. He started to put it inside the locker, but stopped and looked around the grounds again. He looked at the nearest building, then turned towards the mammoth playing field, the fence, and the buses starting to pull into the property from the service entrance hundreds of yards away. He shook his head and put his lunch back in his book bag, carefully placing it in the corner of the bag. This was one lunch that Ephraim was determined would not be stolen. He sighed again, knowing that his lunch was safe and secure. Ephraim was playing a game with whoever was going after his needy daily sustenance, and he was not going to lose. It was a matter for him of life or death. Sam sat in his four-wheel drive vehicle at an intersection just in front of the on-ramp to the San Diego freeway. He held the microphone of his two-meter mobile radio in his right hand as he looked down at the frequency. The red fluorescent numbers read 146.565 megahertz. Sam wondered where Ephraim was. Damn it, why isn't he listening? Where the hell is he? After the previous exciting night, he wanted to get Ephraim on the radio quickly. Sam was displaying the typical impatience. 
he had seen in so many other radio operators. They expected their gear to always work and the station operator to always be available. Sam had gotten used to the convenience of being able to raise someone quickly, effortlessly. He had taken for granted the system of repeaters and lightweight, easy-to-use handy talkies. He wanted to talk to Ephraim now. The traffic light held on a long red and the rush hour cross traffic at the busiest intersections seemed endless. The morning crowd was impatient to jam onto the freeway and stream north towards Los Angeles or south to San Diego. Sam could hear a chorus of car radios tuned to FM rock stations or talk radio stations or CDs playing out music of all flavors. He could also see some drivers entertaining themselves with interesting conversations, sometimes to themselves. Sam tapped his steering wheel nervously and wondered why people talk to themselves in their automobiles so often. He was amazed by the number of times he had seen people jabbering away, mouths fully open, or sometimes through clenched teeth. Perhaps it was diversion from the grueling drive, or maybe these people were really talking to someone else in their heads, or maybe on their headsets through their phones. It was mostly older people, Sam thought, in their 30s and 40s. Of course, he had seen kids his own age doing it, but they were mostly singing along with the lyrics of some song on their radios. The light had changed, Sam steered his jeep up the ramp and passed the sign that read San Diego Freeway, North Los Angeles. He put his microphone to his mouth as he looked at the merging traffic to his left. The jeep engine roared Sam into the flow of traffic. WA6JER, this is K6DQ. Where are you, Ephraim? Ephraim was leaning against a tree, reading one of his most valuable comic books in his collection. He looked up occasionally and watched the buses unload at the far end of the campus. He was isolated enough near the perimeter of the school grounds that he could read in peace. The comic book he was reading was his favorite. It was a Marvel Comics remake of the famous Silver Surfer. Anyone who knew about the subject matter knew that this was a hot book. The Silver Surfer stood proudly on a flaming asteroid as it hurtled through space. His strong physique, rippling muscles, and stern eyes were encased in silver. In his left hand, he held his transportation system, a silver-coated surfboard shaped very much like an emery board. This board had five long grooves, purpose unknown other than looking cool. Explosions surrounded this hero as he soared through the ether of space, conquering evil and rescuing damsels in distress, only to be denied their pleasures because of his gleaming coating. Ephraim studied the last page carefully. He could not hear Sam calling on the radio. His full concentration was on the climactic page. The silver server, larger than life, bold and strong, flew above the jagged mountain peaks of some desolate planet. Ephraim smiled slightly as he looked at the surfer. He wondered 
How could he ever get his own body to be as strong and trim as the Silver Surfer's? Sam only wondered how much the Silver Surfer weighed in ounces. He infuriated Ephraim when he discussed the feasibility of melting the Silver Surfer down, making him into silver bars and waiting for the price of silver to rise. Nothing angered Ephraim more than hearing Sam talk about his comic book heroes in such an unemotional way. Sam loved to have fun with Ephraim's colorful heroes and their implausible feats of bravery and fantasy. Sam's muffled repeated calls could be barely heard on the receiver in Ephraim's backpack. At last, Ephraim turned the handy talking on for his early morning daily contact with Sam. Ephraim put the comic book on his lap and frowned as he thought about Sam's derision of his heroes. Sam called again. Ephraim moved back to reality and fumbled quickly for the push-to-talk switch. Sam called once again. The audio was forced through the tiny two-inch internal speaker. Ephraim, I know you're there, Sam said, exasperated. Finally, Ephraim reached the bottom of his stuffed book bag and grabbed his small radio. It squirted out of his hands, but he caught it in midair just before it crashed onto a nearby sidewalk. Ephraim was angrier with Sam than at himself. He turned up the volume and pulled the speaker microphone to his mouth. Damn it, Sam, you almost made me drop my radio, Ephraim shouted. I already had to place one IF chip in this thing last month. But Sam's steady voice coming through the small speaker calmed Ephraim. Take it easy. I've been calling you. Where were you? I was reading Silver Surfer. Not again, man. You're going to wear that thing out. Ephraim was excited again. He turned back to the last page and pulled the radio to his mouth again. Sam, let me just read you the last page. It's really cool. Ephraim, wait. I got to tell you something. Too late. Ephraim was keying right over Sam's transmission. Ephraim always thought that whoever he was talking to was through as soon as he keyed down and transmitted. If Ephraim was transmitting, everyone should be listening. Anyone who doubled with him, well, it was their fault. Sam, Sam, let me just read this to you, Ephraim said, pulling his knees to his chest. He furrowed his brow, concentrated on the comic book dialogue, and pulled the radio even closer. Okay, here it is. The server is zooming along, skimming the mountains, riding the air current. See? He's filling the entire page. Here we go. He's above Earth. By the way, not in some hokey alien-type joint. Okay? He's talking now. Okay? Ephraim took a deep breath. His concentration was supreme. His voice was dramatic. Though the one I treasure the most of all is forever denied to me, though I'm sentenced to endure earthly confinement as a bird endures its cage. Still, my heart is light, for I have been true to my destiny. I have bested a demon and brought new life to a world. I know not what tomorrow may bring, Ephraim finished with a broad flourish, but today the server soars. Slowly, Ephraim put the comic on his lap, 
A wide grin was plastered on his face. Now I ask you, is that cool or what? He finally released the transmit button. Sam stared straight ahead at the fast-moving traffic, catatonic with disbelief that his friend was so taken with the Silver Surfer. He finally put the microphone to his mouth again. Ephraim, you have totally flipped out. You're taking this much too seriously. Ephraim's signal came back, but this time the signal started to break up. His voice was mixed with sounds often described as frying bacon, which occur when distance between the stations increases. I should hope so, Samuel. Where are you? You only got five minutes to get here and your signal is breaking up. I've been trying to tell you, Ephraim, but you doubled with me. I'm just getting on the freeway. I'm going to JPL, Ephraim, the jet propulsion lab in La Cunada, Flint Ridge. I want to play the tape of the beacon or message or whatever it was we picked up last night. I know someone there. I want to see what they think, Ephraim said. Oh, baby, you've already missed a couple of days. Sam pleaded gently, cover for me. He waited for Ephraim's usual quick key response. Oh man, I don't know what I say to you. The simplex signal of their radio communication was deteriorating badly as Sam moved further away from Los Robles High School. Sam raised his voice and pulled the microphone close again. Ephraim, I'm losing you. I'll call you when I get back today after school. Cover for me, will you? Just tell him I'm sick or something. I'll stop by Fantasy Castle in Woodland Hills and pick up a new The Thing and Daredevil for you. K6ZDQ, clear. Sam listened for a response, but now the distance between the two radios made further intelligible transmission impossible. Sam reached down and turned off the squelch. All he could hear was dead air. He turned off the radio and took a deep breath. He looked toward the horizon and thought again of white raspy noise and the warbling tone. He glanced over at the passenger seat and focused on the innocuous-looking cassette tape sitting on his briefcase. It seemed so simple to Sam. The tape might as well have been U2 or Slayer or any other rock band. Instead, it contained a radio message from an extraterrestrial civilization trying to make contact with humans on Earth.